Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Commissioner, um, Brendan O'Connor, the president of the GRA, said the result of the vote was a crisis. Would you agree that we're in a crisis? No, we're not in a crisis. We were returning to an agreed roster that was worked for seven years. We're returning on the 6th of November. We're doing so for sound policing reasons around visibility, around victim engagement. We're always open to talk to the associations. We're not in a crisis. It's wrong to describe it as a crisis. But many things the GRA describe as a crisis. It's hard to know what's not a crisis for the GRA. Is there a way back from this or a way out? Well, there is a way out, yes, and that is through negotiation about a new roster. Hello and welcome to another episode of Shattered Lives, the Irish Daily Star and Irish Mirror's crime podcast. I'm your host, Paul Healy. I'm crime correspondent with both papers. And as ever, I'm joined by our crime and defence editor, Michael O'Toole. That was Garda Commissioner Drew Harris there speaking to the media. And that's a particularly poignant clip that we wanted people to hear. I'll ask Mick about it because, Mick, of course, you were at that press conference. But why why did we select that clip in particular to sum up this whole story, shall we say? That was me asking him. That's why we picked it. No, I'm only joking. I just, it struck me. Obviously, yesterday, so this has been recorded on Thursday. So the Wednesday was the result of the GRA vote. And you know when there's a big story like this, there's a huge amount of information and we only have a certain amount of words for the paper or for online and you can't put everything in so you know the top line what I picked for the story and the editor liked it actually was the commissioner saying he felt he felt the vote was the result of the vote was a kick in the teeth for him so that's what we call that's our top line that's a really good line and and then he talked about I'm not even going to consider quitting it's illogical for anybody to suggest I'm going to quit it's not going to happen so and yeah you know you have to do the news of the day the reaction of the say the justice minister saying I fully support him and stuff. So things can't, not everything can be reported. So I was just thinking about this today and I tweeted it earlier. I tweeted the full quote because I thought it was a very, very strong uh, quote by the commissioner. Uh, Is it fair to say it was a wee bit snarky? I thought it was a wee bit snarky at the end when he got stuck into Brendan O'Connor for saying it. Now, that was probably my fault because I asked Brendan O'Connor, do you think this is a crisis? He did, yes, it's a crisis. So I thought, right, well, that's a good line. So I'll ask the commissioner. And I, so that was me asking there, do you think it's a, a, a crisis commissioner? And he went, no, no, it's not, a, it's not a crisis. But he did. How can I put this? It was a hard tackle that may have got him a yellow card if he was playing a game of football. We'll, we'll, play it, we'll, we'll say it that way. You know, uh, maybe he, he played the ball and a man a tad bit. Maybe that's what he wanted to do. Maybe that, who knows? But he, he and it, look, it's clear from the press conference, he was fucked off by the result of this vote. and. You know, I think he was returning the serve a wee bit with that comment. Well, I, I, I kind of have perceived him in all the press conferences he's done before. He's very much kind of um, a straight down the line kind of player. It doesn't really uh, divulge from the script, shall we say, depart from the, the, the script. But uh, in, in all of this, he seems to have, you can, the anger, as you say, it seems to be really coming through. I mean, it's starting to get to him. He described it as a kick in the teeth, didn't he? This vote of no confidence, which we should point out as over 98% of those who were polled that voted no confidence 
in the Garda Commissioners. So nearly 10,000 members of the Garda Representative Association voted no confidence this week in Garda Commissioner Drew Harris. Yeah, so there are 13,950 sworn members, I think, at that stage, at this stage. So not now obviously this is restricted to members of the Garda Representative Association to the rank and file. So my so my atrocious maths, obviously 84% of all GRA members voted, but my atrocious maths tell me that roughly two-thirds of the entire force, so about 64.6% of all Garda members from assistant or deputy commissioner all the way down, that this vote represents two-thirds of the entire force. So yeah, I suppose you've got to look at it from the commissioner's perspective. How is he not going to take this personally? Because it's 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 aimed at the commissioner. It said in the ballot paper, do you have confidence in the commissioner of Vanguardia Shiagana? And it was a resounding no. And he's the commissioner of Vanguardia Shiagana. So he'd be, you know, people, I think people can understand why he took it personally. I, I was sort of shocked by his reaction because we were sitting there, we were in the huddle, we're waiting for him to talk and it was all going to be, well, he's going to say, look, it's disappointing, but we have to move on. But he, he did say it was hugely disappointing. And then he spoke about it being a kick in the teeth. So our collective eyebrows raised at that. So, geez, that's a great line. We didn't expect him to be so forthright about it, to put it that way. Yeah, I, I think it, it, with, with respect, just to say, looking at it from the outside in, I think his, his words, uh, everything is a bit of a crisis, the GRA is a little bit, bitchy to be honest with you it's a little bit beneath hmm. him and the office i actually think um and, and, and i mean I, I have total respect in, in a way for the Garda commissioner and the job that he does um outside of who he is as a person but i, I just think he was pay, playing a little bit of the dirty game there with with a phrase like that he might regret that comment i'd say i i'll put it this way i think it showed he was human in other words okay he obviously was really really annoyed about this and i just think you know, there are ways to bat off questions. And I think for whatever reason, he didn't bat that question off. He went into, let's say, attack mode. He's in perfect entitled. He can say what he wants. But I think, you know, it, 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 it raised eyebrows, put it that way. But look, it's, it's his decision. So. But I, I think, you know, you, you were right to ask that question because I think we have to decipher where the spin is here and where the truth is. And I mean, I would just describe, I don't know about you, but 98% of the GRA, that's 9,000 plus members of Vanguard Shiacon, a huge number of guards have voted no confidence in their boss. What? No, sorry. 84% of the GRA people voted, right? But but 98.7% of the 84% voted against them. So there are 116 who don't, who didn't. Yeah, a relatively small number, but I'm saying just when something like that hap- ha- happens, and as as Brendan O'Connor said, it's unprecedented. That is a crisis. I'm sorry. I mean, and and for you to describe it as otherwise, um, I understand the commissioner is just trying to get on with the job at hand, and he has to show a brave face. And obviously, Minister for Justice Helen McEntee has endorsed him, and she has also said uh, that there is no crisis. Um, and she she wouldn't meet with the GRA. She's saying she felt it was inappropriate to meet with the GRA in July because they had already cast their ballot papers. I, I was feeling slightly mischievous yesterday because, I, uh, as we all know, the great Paul Reynolds usually asks all the questions at these press conferences. And we, I think we're all happy with that because he is, he's a, he, Paul gets a terrible press. He is a fantastic questioner. Anybody, he is. just go for you. He just, you know, he doesn't give the commissioner an easy time. He went after the commissioner yesterday. But 
Uh, I got to ask more questions. Paul let us ask, very kind of me, let us ask the minister questions. So I was like, oh, this is great crack. So I was sent to the commissioner because Tara McManus, the deputy general secretary of the GRA, said basically when Simon Harris was interim justice minister when Miss McEntee was off uh, on maternity leave, he was very understanding. He met with us and he seemed to see where the GRA were coming from. But then Tara said, but this minister hasn't met us at all, won't meet us at all. So I, I, I was standing beside the minister and I said, well, minister, you know, what's the crack here? Uh, the, the, the GRA bigged up Simon Harris for his openness and sensitivity. Didn't say the same about you. What's going on there? And uh, 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 it was nice to ask questions like that. But she basically said, look, I didn't think it was appropriate because she thought that this was a personalised vote against the commissioner and she didn't think it was appropriate to go and meet him. And I said, well, OK, grand. You know, if I ran, I remember giving out to a senior guard once and he said, OK, I've listened to you, Mick. What's your solution? Right. So that's what I was saying to the minister and the commissioner yesterday. How are we going to fix it? How are you guys going to fix this? What's your solution? And the minister just kept on saying, it's not for me to get involved in an industrial relations crisis. And my point here was, I think this is a wee bit more than an industrial relations issue. This is a crisis uh, and it's a crisis of policing. But she was sticking to the line that, look, it's about people sitting down and talking, have an industrial relations answer to this. And I, I, it's not for me to sit down and chair these talks. I think she may have to, to be totally honest. I think they may have to have some sort of emergency conference. Yeah, well, there is an emergency con conference happening later this month of the GRA. Um, we no doubt will be covering that. Um, this isn't going to go away, is it? I mean, I know that the Garda Commissioner and the government would rather it did go away by expressing their continued confidence, uh, the government, I mean, in the Commissioner. Uh, they think that that's that. The other thing that kind of helped them a little bit, I think, in the short run, although I think in the long run there's still a lot of problems here, was the statement by... AGSI, that's the Association of Garda Sergeants and Inspectors, who came out with a statement yesterday saying that the issue of confidence in the commissioner has simply not been an issue for our association. Um, I think that, uh, and I, I can't speak for the GRA, but I would say that certainly people that we know within the organization were um, upset with that statement, weren't happy with it. And there are also people who I understand would be members of AGSI or have association with AGSI who don't feel that way and feel like they possibly should have been uh, polled on whether they had confidence in the commissioner. So there's a lot of infighting issues going on. The, yes, there is. And, and I thought it was interesting. Look, say if seven members of AGSI contacted me and you, that's not, it can't be representative because it just can't. But I, I, I don't know about you, but I have had conversations with some people. Now, so with that in mind, I'm going to say what they said. One of them said that, uh, so obviously AGSI are supervisors, right? And one of them said, I, 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 as I could not vote against the commissioner. I just couldn't because of my position, right? Which is fair enough. You have to respect that. But they did say, if there were to be a vote, my sense is that it would be, it would go against the commissioner as well, but it would be much lower. So maybe 70, 30, 65. 35. You know, something like that, but still by a clear margin. So, look, AGSI have their own view on things and their own view on the roster. I mean, you know, for background, they basically, they want the old roster coming back. They don't like, or I think it's more a case of they don't like the current roster by four on four and four. They say it's very difficult for supervisors. So that's that's their, their position. But let me ask you, Paul, um, we, we did speak about this. Were you surprised by the margin of victory or the margin of the vote? 
No, because uh, I we, we were getting indications for some time now that there was a, a huge amount of unhappiness uh, in the GRA. And, and we, I mean, someone actually did predict to me, um, maybe they were privy to the vote, I don't know. But someone did predict to me uh, the day prior that it would be about 85%, if not more, uh, that were going to vote no confidence. Yes, so uh, somebody was telling me that Obviously, it's a postal ballot, and they've they've had they were saying they've had votes before, and it's been around sixty percent of turnout. Okay, even like in the NUJ, you and I are part of the NUJ. We would have votes, and not everybody people you know, for whatever happens, people they might forget or or whatever reason. So somebody was saying to me, they 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 said it's going to be over seventy percent. It might be over eighty percent, but that was the turnout. What really astounded me was. The percentage of the turnout that voted, I, I don't, I don't think anybody saw practically ninety nine percent of all respondents voting against the commissioner. I, that was a shock. To be fair, yeah, no, I so I yeah, sorry, I'm speaking about the turnout as well. Um, yeah, no, in terms of the level of of no confidence, yeah, it's even higher than than most would have predicted. I, I that uh, I was thinking eighty and eighty. I'll yeah. be honest. but that that to me is a crisis, and that's why I'm saying I think many would have felt like you're saying it would have been a smaller number for Agsy, but if Agsy had done a vote of no confidence, backed up by a vote of confidence from the GRA, I think we'd be having a different conversation here. That's why I think this isn't going away. I think this conference by the GRA later in the month is going to be significant. Um, they're just going to keep beating that drum, is it? But what what kind of action can they take next? Is it going to be a blue flu, a strike of some kind? Yeah, I, I think that's entirely possible or they would call it a withdrawal of labour and, you know, isn't there a convoluted, they're not allowed to call and for strike, it's, you know, dissension or whatever. Uh, but they people guards can make individual decisions. In other words, so you could have a station party and 80% of them could decide, I'm, I, you know, I, they could follow the lead of the GRA and withdraw their labour. Because that was nearly happened, I always forget the year, I think it was 2015, that there was nearly, a, it was very, narrowly, it was very close to midnight when it was averted, could have something like that. I also, somebody was saying that there is a possibility that guards could refuse to do overtime. Wow. Okay. As one thing. Now, guards survive in overtime. I'm talking about the guard system survives in overtime. I'll give you an example. Obviously, we're going to talk about Stephen Termini afterwards, but after that attack on Stephen Termini in July 19th, Helen McEntee, the Justice Minister, announced 10 million euro extra for the DMR, which is the Dublin Metropolitan Region, it's the Greater Dublin and City Centre. And that was on the basis of 10 million euro between now and the end of the year for 240,000 extra hours. But that's overtime. So the guards, it's overtime is the sort of escape valve always has been for the guards. So if guards decide, no, I'm not getting involved in, in overtime, you won't see those extra guards because, you know, people talk about getting extra guardy on the beat and everything. That's guards working overtime or working their rest days. You don't, you don't, you don't magic... 65 new guardy out of Temple Moor in a day. It's guards who are working, working their days off and, and overtime and stuff. So if they did something like that, then that could ratchet things up really, really massively. So now look, it's the 6th of November when this new old roster comes back in. Uh, I still think there'll be a deal. I have to say I still, because it's now, it's moved from the policing arena into the political arena. So I think there'll be a deal. Do you? I think you're possibly right too, but we should point out that that you know an awful lot of guards, <clears throat> the roster isn't even the big issue here. Um, I mean, there, we spoke about this before. Uh, won't go on about it at length, but morale has never been lower in a way. There, you, you interviewed Laura Young about why she left the, the force. Many guards feel the same way. 
Um, they feel they're underpaid. They're overworked. They, they. Uh, it's more than just the roster system. I'll paraphrase what what um somebody told me there the other day. The roster issue wasn't for them, uh, but it was, uh, it wasn't really the, their issue. Their issue was the new policing model in general. They felt was a complete waste of money, and they feel that Drew Harris is basically moving the force towards a UK kind of approach. That it's we're copying off the Brits effectively. So that's that person's take. Um, you've probably heard similar takes. I, 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 I have, and there's a big thing. I, we interviewed, I interviewed a man called Ian Martyr, Dr. Ian Martyr, last week, who is a criminologist. It had, look, he had some interesting points, but he did talk, I, we were talk, I was t- talking about the basis of zero tolerance. Now, here is an interesting point. Zero tolerance effectively means you go after every single crime. And he said that means that Guardi no longer have discretion. Discretion is a massive, not a weapon, but a massive skill or a massive ability that the Guardi have. In other words, they can choose, not to turn a blind eye, but they can make a policing decision. I'm going to use my discretion. So I've always found that discretion has been a very Irish thing and it's used significantly in Ireland and it has been eroded. And a lot of people would say to me that they do fear that the unique characteristics of Angarda Siakana are being eroded bit by bit and they're t- turning into something akin to a UK constabulary. And, you know, you and I would know what the regular is. So the regular is the normal policing units. In England, they're called response officers. So you'd worry sort of about are, are the Guardi who have a uniquely Irish ethos and focus and way of doing things, and way of doing things wrong, but a way of doing things well. Is that slowly morphing into a British constabulary? And there are, you know, guards do, are concerned about that. Massively so. Um, so I don't think those issues are going away anywhere soon. But as you say, there may be a deal. Of- and suspensions. Sorry, and the issue of suspensions as well. They're very aggrieved about Guardi. Now, they will say they don't, they, I know of a couple of cases, they think that higher ups don't get suspended when Guardi on the ground, the regular, the mules as they're called, get suspended for picking their nose. Do you know? You know that. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, always slides downwards, and they're very annoyed. They're, about they're annoyed about. The, there is a general sense that the the uh, the force is investigating itself to to such an extent that nobody's able to do their job, and they're all being maligned just for doing it. So yeah, a lot of them feel very aggrieved about that. Can I? Can I? Can I? Can I just raise just a couple of points? Um, obviously, in the in the aftermath of the vote, I was struck by a couple of things. Firstly, how four square Helen McEntee was behind the commissioner. But the senior leadership team, the SLT, so that's all the deputy commissioners, assistant commissioners, and all the, you know, the director of ICT and all that sort of stuff. They issued a statement, four square, just before the result, but I think they had in England, it was going to go, we all did, four square behind the commissioner. And it was a very, very strong statement. And then the policing authority also issued a very strong statement. It was like three pieces of heavy artillery off firing at once. So it, it was it was really interesting to watch. It was boom, boom, boom. We are all behind the commissioner here. So that was interesting. So it is interesting. What's going to happen? And, and you have to wonder about the timing and things. That's why I want to move to this other topic because it, it, it kind of slides into it nicely, which is the commissioner and his trip to Dubai. And we'll talk about the other development that 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 you published in the Star and the Mirror today in a minute. But just also talking about timing there. Um, I just thought it was interesting. It probably is completely coincidental, but uh, a, a lot more came out about his visit, about his visit to Dubai, 
around the same time that all of this happened. And a, a nice uh, PR video by the Dubai police featuring an interview with Drew Harris was released on social media, the, you know, the same day. And, you know, it, it was all very interesting timing, is all I'll say. Yes, and it, he was getting hockeyed for, yeah, typical PR stuff. Look, that was my fault. And I have the recording of the press conference. You can hear me turning around to the other colleagues because we'd been at the commissioner. I'd been asking him hard questions. Everybody had been asking him hard questions. Reynolds had, as usual, leading the way. You can hear me turning around and said, lads, can we ask about something else if we're all finished with this? And I did. And I asked about Dubai. Now, to be fair to the commissioner, that was his really first big presser with all the crime cars and, you know, since he was in Dubai. So we had to ask him about that. And, and to be even fairer to him, he didn't tell us anything. He, he gives some um, updates. And I noticed he said about letters in exchange. And it was only when we afterwards started doing a bit of digging that we got the line that the Dubai police had sent the Lieutenant General Al Mari, the head of the, the commissioner, basically, of the Dubai police, had sent a letter offering to set up a bilateral agreement with Ireland to have Dubai detectives sent over here to work with the Gardaí, not not patrolling streets, but working with DOCB, Drugs and Organised Crime, in building bureau, building up a case against Ken. And so the commissioner didn't drop this. I asked him, he answered, and then we got a story from him. Well, that's, uh, we, you know, that, that's the, the, the massive development that we do want to talk about. I mean, that, that cannot be shied away from. That is a huge development that the Dubai police are willing to cooperate with the guards to that level that they're going to come over here. I suppose share intelligence, which would be huge. I mean, uh, what information do they have on the Kinnahans who've lived there since 2016 uh, that they might be now able to collaborate with and, and work together on? You know, yeah, it'd be huge. And, and, it, and it is significant that it will require a bilateral agreement. So the Dubai government, the UAE Emirates government and the Irish government will have to sign out a, a, like a memorandum of understanding, something like that. Because there has to be a legal basis for this. Because obviously, as you say, the Dubai police have, don't have any powers here. But there, so it is, it's going to be an intergovernmental thing. So that's really, really significant. So, you know, I, I just listen to various analysts today. It's going to be something like the guards will be able to show, well, here's what Christy Kinnan's gang has done here. Here's the various people and everything. But one of the, I think one of the things that will happen, in my opinion, quickly, is Sean McGovern. Because there is, as we've spoken about, the DPP has directed him to be charged over the murder of a man called Noel Kerwin, who was murdered. In, we did spoke about this last week. He was murdered in December 2016 outside his home in Clondalkin in the drive of his home. I think at his car. And he was a close friend of Jerry the Monk Hutch. And he was shot. The view is he was shot because he was seen accompanying Jerry Hutch at the brother at the funeral of his brother, Eddie, in March 2016, February, March 2016. And there are famous pictures of him, so he was spotted. So the guards carried out their investigation, sent an investigations file, the director of public prosecutions, and the DPP has directed Mr. McGovern to be charged over this. So it's not like the Kinnahans, where there is a file with the DPP at the minute, the DPP has already examined the file and has ordered him to be charged. So I think that's a sort of, you know, if, if, the, if the Dubai authorities are sending letters saying, we want to do this, we want to help, is it not inevitable that very quickly there's a solution, there's something they can do tangible, is get Sean McGovern and kick him out over to here so many people Yeah, well, I, um, I imagine there's an exchange of, I mean, if the Dubai police want to come over here and do all that, surely the guards on our end are saying, well, yeah, but give us Sean McGovern. Yeah, I mean, that just makes sense that that would be the next logical 
step. Just the only hope is that Sean McGovern is still in the UAE, and certainly the intelligence seems to be that he is. Um, but uh, maybe that's causing a bit of a delay. They don't know his exact whereabouts. No, I, 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 I didn't get that sense. The commissioner actually went out of his way yesterday to say they, so I'm taking that as the kind of leadership, they are still in Dubai. Because look, we've speculated about it. It's, he said that. Uh, who did? Yeah, he said they're still in Dubai. No, he didn't name people, but Sean McGovern is, is tier one of the Kenyan, maybe tier on minus one point, but you know, he's not mm-hmm. top tier, but yeah. he's very close to Daniel. We he's know he's there. very close to Daniel. Yeah, right. They said they're still in Dubai. And if you remember, we alluded to this, Justin Kelly, the the assistant commissioner in charge of serious and organized crime, who was with the commissioner a few months ago, he said, we know where the Kenyans are. So it's Dubai. So yeah, he said they're still there. So look, is, is it effectively, is Dubai an open-air prison for these fellas now? So they, so would the commissioner say they're still in Dubai? Because normally that would make people flee. But does he know that they can't get out? Yeah, the, the, there's obviously some development there that we don't know about. I recall that there were whispers about McGovern um, uh, and his passport and him uh, attempting to leave the country and that he was unable to do so. Certainly, they're, they're, I, I'm sure this is fact by the fact that they were sanctioned and the, the, the UAE government also sanctioned them. I'm sure that they can't get out of the country legally with their own passports. But we do know certainly Kinnan has the capacity to get a false passport. But the fact that the commissioner said that and that there's, you know, we all learned about the Dubai police coming, that would be an indication to me that they are relaxed about the Kinnan's leadership not being able to go to Dubai. Does that make sense? Yeah, well, also the the amount of public statements that they're now making shows a degree of confidence as well, doesn't it? I mean, if they really didn't want the Kinnahans to know, they'd be keeping all this very hush-hush. Um, so, yeah. Like he could have, the commissioner could have batted off my questions and, uh, look, I don't want to talk about that. He had plenty, but he, no, he didn't, you know, we, we all know what he said, but it wasn't anything earth shattering, but it was just enough for us to... Go and do a bit more digging, shall we say? Now, yeah, look, I hope this all re- means something. I, I mean, the more cynical side of you would look at the timing of the overall thing. I mean, just even outside of you asking the question in the press conference this week, I mean, him being in Dubai and all of the publicity around that is also around the time when this vote of confidence was being made in him. And the more cynical person could look at it and say, that's interesting timing. It's good PR for the commissioner. You know, all of that going on in Dubai was happening anyway. I mean, uh, Assistant Commissioner Justin Kelly has been to Dubai multiple times and been having these uh, meetings. And I'm not for one second downgrading or downplaying the work that the guards are doing in Dubai. But the presence of the commissioner and the photographs and the video interview and all of that, you could be cynical and look at that and say, is it a PR campaign or does it mean anything? But let's be fair, the commissioner, the head of the National Police Force, Heading over somewhere is different gravy. Do you remember we we did one about the commissioner being over in America? Little did we know it was late two thousand and one, I think, and he met the Secret Service. Remember all that sort of stuff? And we were going, why is he meeting the Secret Service? And then things become clear. So I think it is if the numero uno goes somewhere and meets someone publicly, then that that's a big story. And so really, what we're saying is that if it was a PR thing, that the Dubai authorities would have to collude and do the video. So I don't buy that, right? I know what you're saying, but people will always be cynical. But look, it's the commissioner. If he goes to Dubai, it's going to be news. Much more than with greatest respect to Commissioner Kelly, this is number one. No, I'm I'm playing devil because devil's advocate on that, and I'm you know people have raised that point, and, and, and as I said, the more cynical side of you would think that that's not necessarily my opinion. Um, 
you know, obviously it, it, the, the, the fact that he's gone to Dubai is significant and it's a huge step forward in terms of the relations between the two. Does it mean anything in terms of getting Sean McGovern extradited and having an actual development? We'll see. There's a there's a thing I, I putting my defense hat on. The military strategists would always talk about, you know, you go to war when you're assured of the outcome. Okay, right. So it's over like Nor- storm in Norman Schwarzkopf in 1990, the world, you know, the desert storm. It was basically uh, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of soldiers, and we're going to overwhelm them, and we're going to go when we know we're going to win. And I always think of this, right? So the commissioner went over there. I think. And maybe the, all the publicity was because they knew what the outcome was going to be. So in other words, he wouldn't, he's not coming back with his tail between his legs. He had a level of confidence that this is going to be bear positive. It, it, it didn't not go over there on spec, shall we say. So that's what I mean. I think maybe it's choreographed because they know that there's... Um, Paul, as ever, reporters are on the outside. We, we, we sometimes only scratch the surface. God knows what is happening, right? But I just think that this is... And that's my point. I think that there's, there are things that are going to happen that we'll only get to hear about when they announce. Well, I mean, we only found out very recently that, that, that a property belonging to Daniel Kinney and appears to have been taken off him. So where is he residing? Um, his bank account's being... That's in Dubai, in, in, isn't it? You got in that story. Dubai, yeah. So, I don't know, is he un, under some form of house arrest somewhere? Do they know exactly where he is? And if, if you move out of this area, we'll come after you, that type of thing. And now we're heading into the realm of specula- speculation, but it just as it's, there seems to be such a degree of confidence there that yeah, it suggests that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes, but we are not privy to. You and I met someone the other day. I'm not, I can't say who it is, but I just said to them, you know, I, I, I said I remember look, I said publicly, I said it to Nora Noah Sullivan once when she's commissioner. I said, you know, commissioner, it's really frustrating for me. You're standing a foot or two feet away from me, and I know in your head there's probably. 10 things that would get me the front page for a year. And you remember that fella laughed and said, only 10? That's it. We, we, we don't get to hear much. No, we don't. And uh, the, the persons that get to hear all that are, 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 the, are probably the best at their job in keeping it to themselves. Um, and that's why they're good at their job. We better move on because uh, we're, we're taking up a lot of time here uh, with two topics. But also we wanted to talk about the latest development with Stephen Termini, just to quickly remind people, uh, in case you've been living on a rock and haven't been following this story at all, uh, it's a huge crime story that started at the end of July and it's gone on right up to now where Mr. Termini was assaulted uh, just stores, between Store Street and Talbot Street there, uh, US tourists um, from Buffalo, New York, and he was in a critical condition fighting for his life and even at one stage was there was a threat of, of his eye being lost. And... Um, He's thankfully come out of that coma and he is doing well. But the big uh, unexpected twist in all of this has been what's happening with the money that has been raised by his sons. So his sons raised a significant fund of money uh, to uh, in, on, on GoFundMe, on the website GoFundMe, $130,000. And... Uh, Mick, you're raising your hand. So you, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I know. I just want to explain this, and you and I had a joint byline in this. But let's, let's. Be, I always enjoy or like being honest with our readers. Look, you did, you did the heavy lifting because you spoke to Mister Termini. My involvement, let's be honest. I got a tip off that there was a bit of a problem with this hundred and thirty. So uh, that's why we got a joint byline. But you spoke to Mister Termini 
How, how can I put me? Maybe I loaded the gun and you fired it. We'll put it that way. Yeah, well... D- but I just some people are often interested about joint violence. The both of us didn't obviously interview Mr. Termini, so we worked together. So I knew you had a relationship and I suggested to you. Maybe, we'll maybe with respect to other people and to our egos, I think that maybe the only people who really care about bylines are you and me. Um, but and anyway. uh, lawyers who want to see yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, look, in fairness, yeah, you, you, you had information that uh, something was up. Uh, I had prior contact with Mr. Termini, having interviewed him. I I rang him. Um, I didn't even get to ask him. I mean, it's the first thing that he brought up. It's the first thing he said to me. He said, he said, my son, he's after going off with all the money. He's after stolen the money from me. I went, I, I oh, oh, really? <laughs> I, uh, no, but um, to be to be fair, we didn't know fully. We had an indication that there was a money problem. But now, now Mr. Termini wanted to air this grievance, uh, to be fair to him. It, it, it was his issue to that he wanted to uh, highlight and I'm, I'm glad that he spoke to me about it but it's also a very sad t- uh, state of affairs uh, because Mike and Jesse uh, his sons came over here and people might remember they were interviewed extensively and they wanted to see the Minister for Justice and all of that um, and they raised $130,000 about €120,000 uh, on GoFundMe um, Stephen told me that his son Mike wasn't talking to him, wasn't answering his phone calls, and he wasn't giving him any of the money. That's what he alleged to me. He went so far as to say the money he stole the money from me. Um. So look, we had to be very careful with these things. You know, you can't just go and report that because obviously, uh, you could be sued. Uh, if it's false, whatever. Um. We yeah we 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 did talk about this the night before because because obviously you and I have legal training and what we read, write is read by barristers. But you were expressing concerns to me. And I said, ah, fuck it, you're grand. It's America. They're both Americans. <laughs> yeah, a little more leeway. But no, you still have to be. I mean, look, I mean, he's making an allegation, a very serious allegation about his own son. Um, but I have contact. I got. I made contact with uh, Mike, the son who ran the GoFundMe campaign. And from his perspective, he feels that the money was being raised not for his father's personal use. Uh, the money was raised uh, specifically to uh, get himself and his brother over here to Ireland uh, and to pay for their travel expenses and their accommodation expenses while they were here. Um, he said he also fully intended and still intends to pay any uh, medical bills that are sent his way uh, in relation to his father. Um, as When it pertains to what, however amount of money is left, he says, look, he's willing and open to have that conversation with his father, who he's currently not on speaking terms with, uh, and he's going to sit down with an accountant and talk through all the legalities uh, of all of that. But um, Mr. Termini feels he's entitled to all of the money, that, that the money was raised for him and he was in a critical condition and he feels that the money should be his. And he feels he would like to use some of the money to uh, to come and live here in Ireland permanently to purchase a home uh, in the west of Ireland where his family originates from. And, and that was his intention. But... Mike uh, doesn't want to give him the money for that purpose at this stage. He says he wants to have a conversation with his father when things have cooled down. Um, But very much at the moment, there is a dispute of sorts over the money and that. But the, the... the interesting development from from this story, I and mean, there's a huge, huge reaction to it, I've, I, an enormous reaction to it, is that a lot of people donated. Um feeling that they were donating directly to Mr. Termini, that they were they were giving the money to Mr. Termini for his uh, recovery and for him personally. And now that they have heard the words from Mike, uh, they're annoyed. And I understand that a number of complaints have been made 
to go fund me people are looking for their money back can you, is the it i presume it's closed now is it it is closed now yes yes is it still up on the system? Can you read it? You can still read it. I have it open here. 133,516 US what dollars. The, what, what does the appeal say? Yeah, I think this is the interesting thing because, you know, obviously went back to read the fine print, as it were, and there is actually nothing in it specifically saying I'm raising the money for my father. There's a photograph of Mike, his brother Jesse, and the father in the middle. And it says, this is a photo of my biological father, Stephen Termini, along with myself, uh, Mike Rizzuto, and my brother, Jesse. Upon returning home from tour with my band, Kissing Candace, I received the news that there was an unprovoked attack by multiple people on my father in Dublin, Ireland. The brutal attack has left my father in a coma after suffering various injuries. He's currently in critical condition with what I'm told are life-altering injuries. I'm receiving this news uh, of this situation as it comes in through the media alongside everyone else. My father instilled the love of music I have inside of me and there's been huge support to me over the past decade. Although we may not have been the closest throughout the years, he's still my father and the reason I'm here today. I'm asking you to send healing vibes to my father while my family and I attempt to learn more facts of the situation. And then there is a uh, note from his beloved sister, Michelle. I'm not going to read the whole thing because it just goes into you know why he went over to Ireland. But specifically the sentence at the end... We feel so very helpless as none of us can afford the, the trip to be with him in his time of dire need. That's 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 it so far as the appeal went and 130,000 was raised, you know, um, but there are many people there who feel they were raising the money for Mr. Termini. It's, I think it's a fair assumption. I think people, you know, would fairly have assumed that. Especially with, now, look, me, you and I read things differently because we're cynical, but I, can, I, I remember reading this. And I remember the biological father and I went, oh, what's going on there? I just, and what he said about that, not that, you know, was his relationships aren't the best. And I said, okay, but that doesn't, I mean, you, and he had obviously has different surname. Uh, but, you know, picture him, the two boys and the father. He, I, you know, people, I think people would be forgiven for thinking that it was, you know, for the father as well as them. Is that a fair point? Yeah, I, I think so. It'll be interesting to see what GoFundMe says. They haven't come back to me with a comment yet today about the public complaints, but they've said that uh, they, they said in a statement to me yesterday, the original original story, that the money, all money raised in GoFundMe, they ensure that it goes to the right and proper place. Uh, just in my reading of that, it's not immediately clear what they were asking the money for, to be quite honest. Uh, you But you're... But your 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 assumption would be it's for the dad and specifically to take care of him. One thing to say in Mike's defense to a degree, um, not, not that I'm taking any side here, but just Mike said, you know, when I rape, when I put up that fundraiser, I believed that my father was dead or dying, and so the the funds were being raised to, for that matter. Obviously, things have taken uh, a turn for the better in that his father has uh, has recovered fully and is out of hospital and he hasn't been presented with any medical bills so all this money has been raised and it would appear he didn't have to spend any of it really other than on his own accommodation and on flying so i mean that's um that that's all it appears to have been spent on to date yeah so we don't know how much is left do we he didn't give any indication of that no he didn't um he he said uh that uh the majority of it was still there, but he wouldn't get into uh, he wouldn't get into 
specific numbers and he do, he doesn't want to 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 get into that. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. I mean, will 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 if the GoFundMe policy is if it turns out to be uh, fraudulent or seen as not going towards the right cause, all of the money will go back to the people who donated it. That's the way it works. So Mr. Termini has said, look, he might consider opening up his own GoFundMe. And if people want to be generous, they can pay him directly that way. Um, but uh, at the moment, the way it will go is if this is considered to be wrong, GoFundMe is just going to refund everybody. So I understand there have been many complaints. So it'll be interesting to see where that goes. Yeah, and it's very sad. There's obviously a familial relationship there and they've been played out in public. But it's, look, there is a public interest. I mean, clearly there's a public interest in this because God knows how many people donated to this. Thousands of people donated, most of them Irish. Yeah, so look, it's very sad. It's a sad uh, twist to, to, to the tale, sadly. Uh, look, he's back over in Buffalo, New York, um, but he, he says he wants to be an Irish uh, citizen. He wants to come here. He feels his life in the US is over. So we'll continue to follow that with interest. So I think we'll leave it there, Mick, will we? Yeah, another busy week. It's been it's it's been crazy, pretty crazy. We didn't even talk about the hole in the beach and the fact that it wasn't a meteorite. Oh. Or my bo- <laughs> alleged Croatian war criminal. I doorstepped down in Port Leash. Just so many things happen in a week. That's good you just, fun. You just yeah. you move on. You never so know what you're going to be working on next. And, and God knows what will happen next time. What will happen next time? As in, you know, what what's next? Oh, God know. knows. Yeah, yeah, God yeah, knows. yeah. It's true. Listen, thanks right. for listening to us. We'll be back to you next week. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, everybody.